This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Great to have you along as always. It seems the ban on electronic devices on some direct flights from northern Africa and the Middle East to the U.S. is not the only one of its kind. Reports say Britain is also set to ban passengers from carrying most electronic devices on flights from certain countries in the Mideast. Details of the U.K. ban, which may differ from the U.S. measures, could be confirmed later today, according to Sky News. What's the terror threat behind the U.S. ban? In studio with me now is security expert Ross McLean. Welcome, Ross. It's great to have you along here with us today. Good to be with you here on this very important subject. And we also welcome your phone calls, questions, comments that you'd like to share with us here at Zoomer Radio, 416-360-0740, Ross, what's going on? Well, what's going on is we're having a breaking story that's coming out uh, from the U.S. Department of Homeland Security has announced an electronics ban on electronic devices that are larger than a smartphone coming out of certain about 10 different countries, airports, and airliners out of the Middle East. And this is due to a unspecified yet specific uh, threat that they're aware of that's coming out of this area. So the new restrictions are because of terror groups that want to smuggle electronics or uh, smuggle a bomb into their electronics on board airplanes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and in particular, uh, look at this bomb making. I talk about this all the time. It used to be in the old days, you'd call a guy nine fingers or eight fingers in the mob, you know, because he was missing a few fingers. That's because when building a bomb, it went off and they lose fingers, they lose eyes, they lose their faces. Building bombs is a dangerous business. You know, the different types of bombs the terrorists are using, we've heard about the ones that are made with liquid that have been smuggled into some planes that have taken down planes. Those ones are so sensitive that they know the terrorists have to wear anti-static gloves when they're coming through the airport. So it's one of the things the security people look for, because a little spark, and boom, the whole thing goes up before you get onto the plane sort of thing, before you get a chance to plant it. So in this particular case, there's a bomb maker out of the Middle East, out of Yemen, which is a small country that's one of the biggest terror hellholes on the face of the earth. They've been responsible for a lot of terrors. They've bombed uh, U.S. aircraft carriers before in the past. Really vicious. And there's a bomb maker there uh, by the name of Ibram al-Asiri, who the U.S. Have been, has been looking at for quite a while. And he's developed the expertise to take different types of explosive devices, TNT and other things, and fit them into consumer electronic devices so that they can be smuggled on and detonated in planes. So they're seeing his signature work on some of this. And where is that intelligence coming from? Well, some of it, we're going to have to believe that this took place, If the for the listeners who remember, there was a raid that was conducted shortly after President Trump came in, uh, in Yemen, where they lost a Navy SEAL, a very brave Navy SEAL, who went in, he died during this attack. There was, you know, political talk, of course, was this a valid, uh, good exercise, successful or not, or whatever. But they recovered intelligence uh, from Yemen that I believe led to them learning about the level of the bomb-making um, skills that are going on in Yemen, and also 
uh, I believe they would have found intelligence that showed that they're sharing this outside of Yemen. My understanding is they have evidence it's been shared into Syria, at least, for how to make these types of bombs, Jane. So it, it became a very, very serious thing for the security people. And let me just point this out, too. A lot of the times what these terrorists do is they'll do the work, like the bomb-making uh, plans for how to make these bombs. They'll do it on computer systems that are totally isolated from the Internet. They never hook them up to the Internet. They've got no wireless capabilities, so they can't be listened into and eavesdropped on. And sometimes when they go to share this information with other terrorists, they don't do it by sending attachments and stuff like that. They'll load them onto USB sticks, and they'll send them by snail mail. They'll have couriers carry them to other terrorist cells where they'll put them on secure uh, computers to look at them to learn how to make these bombs. So they can't be traced. They can't be traced. It's hard to find. Otherwise, guess what? They'd be finding a cruise missile coming in before they can blink and they'd be wiped out. So this is the, this is the level of seriousness, I think, that this, this ban is leading to. This Ibram al-Asiri that you mentioned, who is he connected to? Which terror organization? Al-Qaeda. He's al-Qaeda related. But of course, we know over there, there's all sorts of different names from them. And, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and you get along with whoever you get along with, and you can buy this information. They have to finance terror. So This this is our Western sensibility. We like to lump people in categories. Right. But that's not the way they operate. It's not the way they operate. And see, the important thing here, it used to be that terror and these sort of things could be something that would respect a geography. You know, if you're traveling into a geography that you could be, you know, there's dangers there. That's where you have to deal with it. But... With the advent of technology and bomb-making equipment and planes that fly, this, this terror can come anywhere. It can, it can end up anywhere. It doesn't have to respect the geography of Yemen. And yet the Department of Homeland Security has labeled the airports in question. How do we know? And there's a list of them here, nine of them. How do we know this is where the technology is coming from that would go onto a plane, that would blow up a plane? Well, they'll look at the areas that they likely believe that this information has been shared with, if they're able to find that out. They also know that there's certain, like, look, at not everybody wants to take a bomb, put it in their lap and get on a plane and end their life. So there has to be a certain psychology of people who want to do that, who are going to be in a certain geography or cultural or milieu, whatever you want to call it, that they'd want to do that. So they know the areas. You know, the other important thing is what they're doing is they're targeting airlines here that are the last point of departure for landing in the U.S. because they know that this is a, where they're going to be able to come to the U.S. and detonate, probably kill a lot of Americans if they do it. Now, these airlines, these different airlines from these countries, they have to comply with U.S. security regulations. Otherwise, they're not allowed to land in the U.S. So they're allowed to do inspections on them. So what this tells you is that Homeland Security, the FBI, they know the level of scrutiny and um, quality that's going into the security checks at these areas, and they feel that they're somewhat suspect. We're speaking with Ross McLean, security expert here at Zoomer Radio on Fight Back. Jane for Libby, taking your calls as well, 416-360-0740, Dorothy in Toronto, what would you like to add? I would like to just add to Ross McLean a thank you for the RCMP and for his security team and what they're doing for Canada. I just feel like we're, it's the Second World War again. I feel like the way my mom spoke about it. My dad was in the Navy, and I'm really worried. I'm praying really, really hard every day. Well, you know what, people? I'm gonna, let me tell you, I'm not with the RCMP. I, I, I'm my own company for doing things. But I, I talk to those people who do it, and there are a lot of unnamed men and women 
who are working very, very hard in very dangerous circumstances under an terrible workload that have done it. You know, I have to tell you, I've been worried that they could do it. They've done a pretty good job at keeping us safe in Canada, but it's a whack-a-mole game. So, so Ross, if and I just want to name the airlines, the carriers in question, Royal Jordanian Airlines, Egypt Air, Turkish Airlines, Saudi Arabian Airlines, Kuwait Airways, Royal Air Morocco, Qatar Airways, Emirates, and Etihad Airways. They all have until Friday to comply with the new policy, uh, which took effect early today and will be in place indefinitely. We're now hearing a buzz that there will be a similar electronics ban in place for flights from these areas of the world to Britain. Are we expecting to see the same to Montreal, to Toronto, to Vancouver? Yeah, well, the the, the reports that we're seeing say that and that the U.S. intelligence has shared with the British intelligence what they have about this these bombs and the capabilities that are here. We have, of course, what are called the Five Eyes, Canada, the U.S., Britain, uh, New Zealand. I'm forgetting the other ones here uh, for doing that. They're all countries who all work together and share information back and forth. So Canada likely will be seeing this information or has seen this information as well. And it's something you need to be concerned about. Look, we've seen terrorist attacks in North America here from people who wanted to travel over to Syria and fight for ISIS. And when they were denied because they were on the travel ban and the RCMP were looking at them, they turned around and they carried out terror attacks here because it was a proxy for doing it there. It was some way of doing it. So if they're frustrated they can't get into the U.S. on these planes to do this, would it satisfy these terrorist groups to do it to a a U.K.-bound plane, to a Canadian-bound plane? Quite possible. Wow. 416-360-0740-1866-744-740. You know, we mentioned an indefinite ban, and it was not long after 9-11 that liquids were prohibited or certain amounts of liquid on planes around the world. Uh, Homeland Security is saying that this type of ban, the electronics ban, will require the same kind of adjustment as the liquids ban. That leads me to believe that this is going to be not a temporary situation. No, I don't think this will be temporary, particularly if, if the plans for how to build these bombs has gone far and wide within terrorist organizations. Look, we all remember times when we'd go to get on the airplane and they'd say, make you take out your laptop and turn it on, right? They want you to turn it on because one of the biggest places one could hide a bomb is in the space and the weight of where the battery goes in the laptop. That's big, that's heavy. You could, uh, plastic explosives could fit in there sort of thing or whatever. So turning it on was one way of of looking at that to make sure that there wasn't a bomb on it. Now, I don't know this, this is just speculation, but perhaps they found a way of doing the similar thing, loading these laptops up and putting in an alternative small power source, some sort of battery or something that would allow the laptop to turn on to look good, but enough so that, okay, we're going to let it go through. Then you have it on the plane. You can do something with it. I mean, the technology in this is changing all the time. Well, let me ask you this then. Uh, why would an iPad be allowed in the cargo hold uh, w- with an individual who's got a smartphone who could perhaps operate th- that device from uh, the cabin? Yeah, my, my suspicion on that, and I've seen different people talk about that, is the devices that they would have seen that they have plans for doing do not include the uh, capability of remote detonation because they'll just be so filled. For instance, one of the laptops that they used, this was in February of 2016 out of Somalia. Uh, This bomb maker made a laptop and the whole inside of it was filled with TNT. The whole inside of it, there was no guts of the computer left, right? Even Even behind the screen was filled with it. Now, this person managed to get through 
an x-ray going through x-ray with the computer it wasn't picked up now they're saying part of that is because there's what's called a single level x-ray and a multi-level x-ray they only had single level x-ray there so maybe they didn't see it or maybe the guard wasn't paying attention at the time he got on with that laptop Jane and he was also just by coincidence managed to get the perfect seat in the weakest part of the plane where you'd want a bomb to go off right near a fuel tank um, sort of thing and the only thing that helped and saved uh, everybody on that plane at that time the, pl- the flight was delayed and the bomb went off too early before the plane got very high it went off at 10,000 feet so the whole plane isn't pressurized yet and it caused minimal damage took out the right side of the terrorist right I remember this yes took out the right side yes. of the terrorist but they were able to land the plane because what happens is they want to get it up at cruising altitude because that's when the plane is fully pressurized and it's going to explode more and it was positioned so that it would blow a hole in the plane uh, set a fuel tank on fire just caused devastation so the question there was they were looking at Okay, how did this person get through? Did the guard really miss this or did the guard want to miss this? How did they get that seat on the plane? You know, they even went back and they were able to recover the x-ray of that device and they could see on the device the TNT that was in there that was visible. Okay, so say so say a timer was set and that particular device was put in a suitcase. Would the x-ray system catch, would it have caught it before it went into the cargo hold? Like, is the, is the technology that much better for, this, for the suitcases underneath the plane? That's what I'm wondering about. Why is it not a widespread ban for the entire plane? Because yeah, it costs a lot of money to do all that. But, of course, the U.S. is looking at that. And, and the levels of security at different airports in different places is a little bit different. The U.S. tries to set a standard to it. But if I tell you I'm setting a standard that everything has to go through an x-ray and check it, and that's fine. But guess what? Your security people are compromised, and it doesn't matter that you've got that check there. So it's Homeland Security is looking at all this and trying to nail down to the weakest link, if you will. How concerned are you hearing this information about the electronics ban uh, from some flights? It's not very many. It's about 50 flights a day from northern Africa and the Middle East directly to the U.S. Would you like to see the similar, a similar electronics ban for flights that are direct to some of our major cities here in Canada? 416-360-0740, Ross McLean, security expert with us and we are going to continue our conversation about the timing of this electronics ban as well in the United States with Paul Paselli, a conservative pundit in the US. Let's go to Bill first. Bill in Toronto, go ahead. You're on. Hi. Breaking news, the uh, Ninth Circuit Court just overturned the ban on Muslim electronics. Uh, you're okay. <laughs> Yeah, and yesterday you can't, certain countries, they can't come in. Motion 103? Yes, okay. Have one, one lunch hour where we talk about something else. Oh, okay, so you're frustrated by the content. Yeah, it's just dominating our life. Well, it is, if, you're absolutely right. It is dominating our life. Are we, are we succumbing to the fear of terror, Ross? Or are we succumbing to the fear of being scared? <laughs> Look, there's whenever I do a risk assessment on something, I look to see if there's a likely risk of it to happen, right? I don't think there's a likely risk that we're going to have someone, you know, um, you, you name it, ride up on a horse here and fire a gun through the way. Like there's certain things you have to look at, what the, what the threat level is. And the threat level for terrorism, the war on terror, it's real. It is real. And, and I don't have to tell you, I mean, I've covered – the terrorism we've had here with Nathan Cirillo being killed. 
uh, with the guy storming Parliament Hill, with our military officer run over just and killed just outside of Quebec. We had a recruitment center here in North York in Toronto where a guy went in and stabbed and slashed and, and, you know, thank God he was taken down by the military people who were in there. I mean, it happens. We also had the terror attack in a mosque in Quebec as well. Yeah, Ben, I'll tell, I'll tell you something interesting about that, though. I'll tell you something interesting about it. There's a publication ban, all the information around that. And I've talked to some people who have been down that way for the publication ban, and I think there will be some interesting information that comes out of that when the publication ban is lifted as, as to why some of that went on and what happened. There's a lot of people jumping to conclusions on a lot of things, and I'm not saying they're right or they're wrong. I'm just saying there's a publication ban, and we don't have all the information there. Regardless, we do we do live in an era of concern for terror threats. We all lived through 9-11. We've, we saw it happen in Paris. We've seen it happen in the south of France, and, you know, the list goes on and on. Uh, Bali. Uh, so in as much as it may be tiring to hear about it from time to time, and maybe we feel, we feel a little bit like we're in a bubble in Canada. We, you know what? I'm glad you said that because it's what I've said for the longest time. We are in a bubble. We, Canada, you know, what a blessed country we are. Here we are with oceans on either side of us and the frozen Antarctic to the north and our biggest neighbor, the U.S., to the south of us who are on our side. We haven't had to worry about these sort of problems before. You know, we're not a country that always had bombs going off and blowing up legislatures or assassinations or just because you're near the border of the U.S., someone could take a gun and shoot you from across the border and kill you or lob a missile into your country. You know, we've been, we've been really saved from that. But we've got a lot of immigrants, though, who have come over who know the fear of what can go on at these times. You know, long time ago, when I used to have my ball and musket and I was on the police department a long time ago, Jane, well, they told us in the college, you're going to come across people, you're going to knock on the door in your police uniform and go up to ask them a question, and you're going to see a look of horror come over their face. And they said they're going to be scared to pieces of you because they come from countries where when the police knock on the door, sometimes people go missing and they never come back again. So there are people who do understand that there's a reality to this. In Canada, I think we have been in a bit of a bubble. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. We're talking about a couple of uh, big developments today, one of which is the electronics ban from some countries in North Africa and the Middle East uh, on direct flights to the United States. And I'm curious about the timing. You know, first thing this morning when I heard about this, I thought, oh, you know, the FBI investigation, what James Comey said yesterday, uh, all the verbal bombshells he dropped, uh, hinting, alluding to the possibility of relationships between the Trump administration and the Russians and that there was nothing to Trump's tweets about Barack Obama wiretapping Trump Tower. So my immediate thought is this is a red herring, this electronics ban. It sounds like from what our security expert Ross McLean has been telling us that that is not the case. But I'm interested about the timing. And for that, we'll go to Paul Paselli, a U.S. journalist and conservative pundit. Nice to have you on the show, Paul. It's been a while. Hi, Jane. Good to hear from you again. Hope all is well. All is, is very well. Nice, sunny, mild day here in Toronto. Wondering about the timing of this electronics ban. If, if there has been intelligence for some time about it, why today? Why the day after the damning uh, words of James Comey yesterday about uh, all the allegations with Trump? 
You know, Jane, I don't know if there's really any connection. Now, there are some pundits down here saying, and some defenders of the president, uh, trying to link this to his so far two failed attempts to limit or put limits on refugees and also uh, visitors from first it was seven Muslim majority nations, and now it's down to six because Iraq, um, after the first failed attempt, uh, changed some of their vetting procedures uh, as requested by the State Department. So there are some folks, a lot of Trump supporters and a lot of pundits here, saying, hey, wait a minute, we wonder if, in fact, as you say, this might be related to the fact that You know, there was some inside information that was actually discussed rather widely by folks in the Obama administration, is that you had a handful of Muslim-majority nations from, in fact, North Africa, who could not verify the identities of some people that we asked about. But as far as any connection between what happened yesterday and the... the, the, uh, uh, the testimony by uh, Director Comey and the NSA Director Mike Rogers, um, I don't really hear anybody linking those two, but they are kind of linking it as to, well, this is what Donald Trump means by slowing things down, at least from a handful of nations around the world, until we get a better grip on who we're dealing with. Ross McLean, what do you think about that, the, the timing of this ban, the announcement of the ban? Yeah, I, th- I think there's absolutely a reason why they put this out, and I believe there's good solid intelligence reasons why they put it out. But, you know, I don't think it's mutually exclusive that it's going on at the same time. You know, I'll point out that uh, when the Russian jetliner went down at Christmas time by a bomb, it was taken down, We don't, or however it went down, we don't know how it went down. They lost their entire Russian choir, their military choir for doing stuff. Well, guess what? That was part of the reason why General Flynn had made his call to the Russian ambassador. And that call that was, uh, you know, wiretapped or however you want to say it at that time he was also expressing condolences for the loss of those people and i guess talking about sanctions or whatever else was in there sort of thing so i think the fact that they're both going at the same time doesn't necessarily exclude that they're both not proper paul let's let's get to yesterday's testimony were we expecting james comey to be so forthcoming about russian involvement in the u.s election no, frankly, uh, very few people were. I think they were expecting him to be very sort of tight-lipped. If you saw any of that, uh, obviously it's no surprise that both Director Comey and NSA Director Mike Rogers just, you know, despite being asked basically by both sides in Congress several questions, um, they couldn't answer them. But, yeah, the fact that he said we've had an ongoing investigation and, Jane, the fact that he said it's been going on since last July – caught a lot of people by surprise. Now, the question is, how close is this actually to the president? Because Adam Schiff, who is the uh, what we call here the ranking member or the top member of the minority party here on this committee, if you saw any of his open statements, he brought out um, uh, three names that people have kind of been wary about over the past few months. He bought out Paul Manafort, who had connections to Ukraine, and, and that, that's probably why Trump ended up firing him. Also, Roger Stone, who's known down here as a Republican dirty tricks guy, quote-unquote, who actually bragged about having a direct line to Wikipedia and Julian Assange. And then there was a third gentleman whose name escapes me at the moment who was supposedly a, quote-unquote, foreign policy advisor, um, so that's how they're building the case, at least somewhat against 
the Trump administration. But the, the questions remain. How close is this to the president? How long will this take? And it, it's interesting, Jane, during that testimony, um, a member of the Senate, Charles Grassley, very senior member of the Senate who represents Iowa, he sent out a tweet. Now, he was not in there. This was a House hearing. Uh, Grassley was in another hearing. He sent out a tweet, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here. He said uh, uh, something like, uh, Director Comey needs to tell the country what he told me about POTUS. So all of a sudden people are seeing this and saying, well, now wait a minute. Is the inference here by Grassley versus Comey that this is not that close to the president? So, you know, this certainly does, Jane, at a base level put a cloud over the White House, and they can push forward with whatever they want to do, but uh, Lord knows how long this will last. 416-360-0740, I'd like to take a call. Let's go to Don in Toronto. Don, what's on your mind? Um, I was away a few months ago in the Caribbean, and I, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, befriended a few U.S. American women soldiers. And their intelligence, and they were very blunt with me, it's not if it's going to happen in Canada, it's when it's going to happen in Canada. And did so they provide you any information or evidence? No. no. Me. I looked at them and I was like, my eyes, I said, but we're in Canada. What do they want from us here? And she said, it's going to happen here. And this bubble days of us here, we need to put that behind us. It's not the same world anymore. And Canada is not immune to the nonsense with these crazy terrorists. So... I'm truly hoping that this government or the one that follows Dr. Bruto is going to protect us in all ways, shape, or form. Do you, do you feel confident, Don, that that protection is taking place in our best interests? No, not in Canada. I don't. I truly don't. I want to. Um, I have a son in this country. I have nieces and nephews. I don't feel safe here, especially with that poor soldier in uh, was it the year, a year ago or two years ago when you yes. went in and, and nobody, none of the, our soldiers were armed? You can't be so naive and think that nothing is going to happen here, and especially because we have an influx of refugees now who most of them deserve to be here because of their hellish countries. However, saying that, it's not the same refugee ways as it was after World War II. Don, not- thank you for calling in. Thanks for calling with your opinion. And and I think that Don reflects a lot, Ross, of what Canadians feel. We're yep. very open. We're very tolerant. We know we're not Americans, but we know we're not immune. Yeah, maybe Paul can comment on this because we were seeing a divergence between the U.S. and Canada. In Canada, you've got President uh, Trump coming in who is throwing his support behind the military, law enforcement, homeland security. He stands with them. He supports them. He'll give them money. He's tired of them being taken down and not being respected. Yet in Canada, we're probably not seeing the same support for our law enforcement or military. People aren't traditionally feeling that from the Liberal Party sort of thing. So there's a question as to whether or not the people who are protecting us are sort of working with one hand tied behind their back or not. Maybe Paul might have a comment. Yes, Paul. Uh, Yeah, it it is quite a juxtaposition from the eight years of, of, of Barack Obama, who... Um, you know, to about half the country, uh, you know, it came across as, as something of a college professor, you know, and he did attend two, two Ivy League schools, and obviously he's a very bright, 
uh, extremely smart individual. But, uh, you know, we have a generation that went through, you know, Ronald Reagan and the first Bush presidency and the second Bush presidency and, and even Bill Clinton, who was, was rather tough when it came to, to border security. So I think the election of Donald Trump, as your guest said, is a big pushback. And a great amount of his campaign rhetoric, as you folks heard up there, was law and order. You know, he would go out and say, I'm sick of cops being disrespected. I'm sick of our borders being just walked through. Uh, I'm sick of catch and release, which lets people just stay in the U.S., even though they've, they've, uh, they've violated the border. And, yeah, Mr. Trump campaigned on that. And there is a wide divide, a partisan divide, on uh, especially it's even worse now that the revised travel ban from these six nations was essentially shot down or put on hold by a low-level district judge in Hawaii that even some liberal uh, constitutional pundits are scratching you know, their heads about them. What, what happens here in the States on these things is you have some you know, centered or left-leaning organizations like the American Civil Liberties Union and others who you can what's called here in the States judge shop, and you can go and find a judge that you think will rule for you. You could file a motion to stop these things, and it has some people just, I mean, their heads are cracking here because the U.S. Constitution gives the president, not, not just President Trump, but any president, Democrat or Republican, very, very wide-ranging powers as to who can come into the country and who cannot come into the country. And there are still people trying to figure out how this um, second order was, was put on hold, because supposedly there were admissions that the first order was sloppy when it came to green cards and everything, so they spent a good month or so rewriting it to where folks right. on both sides were saying, well, this one is pretty bulletproof. This one will stand. OK, yeah. Paul, I don't I don't yeah. want I don't want to cut you off, but time yeah. is sort of pressing me to do so. We're speaking with conservative pundit Paul Paselli and in the studio here with me, security expert Ross McLean. I just want to bring it around uh, before we wrap up the segment on Russia. Uh, we had all kinds of warnings yesterday from the National Security Director as well as the FBI director that Moscow will be back. The long arm of the Kremlin will be back in the United States. Is this not uh, is this not something that Americans should be concerning themselves about and and also that there may be a connection to the Trump administration? How secure can you feel as an American when this is the backdrop? Here is my point on that, Libby and uh, Jane, I'm sorry. And, and, and the point of a lot of Trump supporters is let us see the evidence. If there is an evidence, if there's evidence of criminality and laws broken, then fine. Move ahead with prosecution. Move ahead with impeachment. But if 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 you're going to look at all this evidence and there's no criminality there, um, they have 1,500 nuclear warheads pointed toward us. We have about the same number pointed toward them. Uh, so let's make sure that there's criminality here and not just witch-hunting partisanship that would prevent two countries with mass nuclear arsenals from at least talking to each other and trying to figure out the UK, the Ukraine and Crimea and problems like that. Let's go to Mark in Westfield, New York. Mark, go ahead. You're on Zoomer Radio. Okay. Um, the, the individual who you have on there as a security expert and is given trying to give some credibility 
to Trump's travel ban and the intelligence that he may have behind it. There was a document that just came out about a month ago or a couple of weeks ago from Department of Homeland Security, and I'm retired from Homeland Security, and it stated that there is no basis for travel bans on ethnicity or from specific countries, that the biggest threat comes from radicalized people within our own country. And for this guy to say what he's saying, and then the second guy who just got off, for him to be saying what he's saying about Trump and what Kumi said yesterday, believe me, Kumi sat down with the Deputy Secretary of Justice, and you can believe that Kumi would not have come there and said what he said yesterday if he didn't already have a case. Well, he was certainly very blunt and clear in what he was saying, Ross. Yeah, let, let me say this, and with due respect, Mark, the one thing that I hate is the politicization of law enforcement and national security. And when you have someone putting out statements like, you're speaking about, a, I guess, a Homeland Security statement that came out when Obama was just going out the door. That is a very self-serving political use. I, I've got no time for politics and policing. In fact, I really, really hate it. You've got to protect people, and you don't do it based on your politics. You do it based on your protecting citizens. And, and that that's is, what you have to do. That's our final word. Ross McLean, thanks for coming into the Zoomerplex with us today. Good to be here. And Paul Paselli, nice to chat with you and get your insight. Jay, thank you so much. Have a happy day. Thanks. You too. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.